We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, this is Steven, the host of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are available on all podcast platforms as well as YouTube. We do appreciate any ratings or reviews and all subscribers to our YouTube channel. That being said, today's show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is our sponsor, who's been great for us. They've been an amazing partner to work with, and they have some great products to make sure that you are feeling your best for the upcoming summer months. If you're feeling a little frisky downstairs, they have the Lawnmower 2.0. They also have anti-chafing boxer briefs, which are a personal favorite of mine, as well as a ball deodorant and some amazing smelling cologne. If you use the code GUILTY at checkout, you get 20% off and free shipping your purchase. Again, that's the code GUILTY at checkout for 20% off. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast. We upgrade our little software. We're recording on StreamYard, so I hope you enjoyed that little 30-second uh, countdown. Uh, my name is Steven. I'm your host. Joining me, as always, are Tyler and Alex with their, their fancy names on their fancy screens. Uh, Alex, it's been a big <laughs> weekend for you and your 76ers, man. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. More important than that, uh, I did, was actually able to play basketball for the first time in a year. I got a Y membership, so that was that was very fun. Uh, I also cannot shoot for shit uh, because it's <laughs> been like a fucking year. Um, but yeah, very fun. Uh, I it says we're live, but does that mean we're live on YouTube? I don't know. I'm not gonna ask. That's a technical question. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, excited <laughs> to be here. I hope not, man, because I just did the record only thing. <laughs> so we'll see, I guess. Um, Tyler, you uh, got some big news as well this weekend. You got vaccinated. How you doing, man? 
Yeah, my version of a Y membership is why are you even here on the court because you're Chinese. I did get vaccinated. I'm a little under the weather, so when you guys go back and watch this episode to see where we ranked everybody, just blame it on the vaccination if I got something wrong, okay? There we go. That, that's a good That's a good thing to say. That's a good preface. Um, so we are going to go over our top 50. It's going to be a really fun episode for you guys today. Um, cannot wait for this. You know, we're going to have some discussions about some players that just missed the cut. Uh, kind of our 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 path to making these decisions on these players, how we ended up making them, who went where kind of thing. And we also have a great interview with Ben Fennell, who was kind enough to join me, talking about some uh, some cornerbacks, some safeties, particularly how the league will view Caleb Farley, which I think is kind of a very fascinating storyline for the upcoming draft. So if you're watching this on YouTube, my interview with Ben Fennell is going to be on a separate video. So make sure and go watch that after you watch this episode. If you are listening to this on the audio, that interview is going to happen right now. All right, guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. So happy to be joined again by Ben Fennell, who uh, joined us early on in this draft process to talk about the Senior Bowl. Uh, he's back today. Ben, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. We're sitting here under two weeks away from the first round of the NFL draft, down the home stretch. A uh, lot, of, lot of smoke and mirrors this time of yes. year. <laughs> kind of keep peeling back those layers of the onion and uh, dive into these players. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the smoke thing. Where do you land on this Mac Jones thing? Real quick, I didn't, I didn't tell you before that we were going to talk about this, but where do you land on Mac Jones potentially being considered with the 49ers and, and, and that kind of smoke screen that's going on these days? Well, I think there's going to be a lot of chatter with where these quarterbacks are going to land, and obviously scheme fit is very important. I think there's going to be five quarterbacks gone in the top ten, and I would not be shocked to see them go one, two, three, four, five. Now the narrative wow. is whoever goes five – has been slighted and has been overlooked and uh, has been counted out. And I don't agree with that. I think they're all very good prospects. They're all going in the first area of the first round. They all have ability. Now let's see how they're used and what scheme they go into. And I'm not the one that's going to be dramatic if one goes over the other. And, you know, I remember a prospect a couple years ago that said, I'm going to make everyone that overlooked me uh, regret it. Oh, yeah. I think that was Denzel Ward. He went fourth overall. <laughs> so that's kind of what it feels yeah. like, uh, this kind of slight in conversation. So now you're just trying to figure out the right scheme, the right fit, the right style. Uh, you could watch every snap of these kids' career, but you have to know who you're getting as well, and that teammate, yeah. the employee, the coworker, the leader, um, all that other stuff that you can't figure out on the tape. So that's what the Pro Day Circuit's about. That's what this time of year is about and trying to – peel back all those layers to who this player and who this person is. Well, I think a lot of, you know, fans in general just kind of undervalue the developmental aspect of things. It's like, you know, the Saints, it seems like the Saints and the Packers are, are always drafting in like the 20s and 30s, but they're always getting good players because they develop them well. And I think that has kind of been something that goes uh, by the wayside. Well, so, it's also like there's dangerous precedents out there for early immediate success. Yeah. And that becomes the model. So every team then says, well, why isn't our guy having the immediate success? Yep. You also have to put a human element to it. These are 20 to 25-year-old yeah. young, you know, developing adults, young professionals. Could there be a more turbulent time in their lives? Some guys don't always get off of the right foot in the professional sector. Some guys do. Some need a year, two years, three years, maybe four years, maybe their second team, maybe a new coach, maybe a new voice. It doesn't always happen the same way. But I think those case studies 
of immediate success really taint the kind of collective process yeah. of development because everybody thinks that that's what it should look like. And we're just so impatient. We want to either crown them or rip them down as soon as we can. A little patience goes a long way. Yeah, you know, specifically the Chargers have been kind of obviously blessed, but also kind of cursed in that regard because Joey Bosa was defensive rookie of the year. Derwin James was an all pro. Obviously, Justin Herbert now comes in and is just this amazing quarterback despite. Well, you guys are showing the dangerous precedent to the yeah, league. Yeah, exactly. Saying, Early <laughs> success. When you draft them, you're going to get results year one. Yeah. So everybody's looking at that. Well, if we take a safety in round one, you better be an all pro like Derwin James. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So just a, a cautionary tale, lower expectations sometimes. Um, I want to get back to the pro day conversation because obviously there's no combine this year. It seems like every single receiver in the draft is running a four, three this year. Um, when you look at a prospect and they either test, you know, out of their minds or they test really poorly, like how do you as a scout value these testing scores? You know, if you're looking at a player like a, a James Hudson, who you looks athletic on tape, but then he goes out and he doesn't have a great pro day. How do you kind of, wade through that process of evaluating that prospect after the pro day? To me, the combine on-field workout and the pro day are about 5% of the puzzle of a prospect. And it's important to know that this time of year is when the pro days and the workouts are going on. It's what's in our face. We don't have games to watch. We don't have film to watch, new film. So this is the narrative at the moment. So there's a lot of buzz and talk and discussion about it which is just the arc for conversations. A lot of people are wondering why is there so much conversation about pro days? There are every year. Now, we just didn't have a combine, so these workouts are becoming that much more heightened and discussed. But it's important to remember, the pro day workouts and the results are not your conclusion of the evaluation. And a lot of times you see these results in the metrics and say, that's the report, that's who he is. They're a cross-checking cross tool that if a player maybe looked questionable speed on tape and then you see the questionable speed at the pro day, now you're connecting dots. If you saw a player not struggle with speed on tape and then not test particularly well, there's a disconnect and you want to go back and look. So a lot of times these pro day workouts are cross-checking tools to either confirm or maybe recheck an area of concern. But it's always important to remember these are not the conclusion. And too often we're seeing the, well, he tested really well. This is who he is. It's yeah. still a piece of a puzzle. And one workout in shorts and a T-shirt on a sunny afternoon doesn't overrule 2,500 snaps on the field. And there's way too much of what's in your face right now outweighing everything they did up to this point. And their film will always be their football DNA. That's who they are as a player. Now, everybody has interesting scenarios and injuries and on-field time, off-field time, position switches, scheme fits. That's what these pro days are about, trying to maybe find some areas that you didn't get to see on tape. Um, but, again, this cycle is so strange because of the opt-outs. You had players that didn't play this year. You had some guys not play for two years, like a Walker Little. Uh, you have yeah. guys that played essentially for one year in college. So there's a lot of gray area and kind of smoke and fog with this particular process, it's very unique. I love the way that you said that, that it's all about cross-checking and kind of making sure the dots connect. So 
the other thing that I, I think, you know, comes out of these pro days and, and it happens every single year, right, with the offensive tackle position. And while so-and-so has short arms, he, he now has to switch the guard or so-and-so has long arms and maybe he has to kick out, kick out the tackle. Um, you know, the Chargers had their recent press conference and Brandon Staley kind of like casually mentioned like, oh, like having length at the tackle position is important. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean like we're looking for 34-inch arms, but how much does length actually value and mean for these offensive tackle positions? Because you've got a guy like Liam Eikenberg who measured, you know, with 32-inch arms and Brady Christensen with 32-inch arms. So how much does length matter for these guys when they move to the NFL? But it's still part of the puzzle, their metrics, their measurables, in combination with their on-field play and ability. I could find you guys with the longest arms in the 98th percentile that are going to be first-round picks for Enterprise Rent-A-Car because they have (laughs) horrible technique and they don't know how to use that functional length. And I could find guys that are under the threshold of arms that are sitting in the Hall of Fame comfortably. So it's all in combination with how you use that length or not use that length. If you're technically sound, the length doesn't always matter. Sometimes those length and those measurables make up for the lapses in other areas. So maybe you have a technique flaw and your length helps you recover. Or maybe you have a slow foot and your length helps you survive with the lack of athleticism. So it's all in in combination. But again, I'm not one that just says, does he meet our measurable thresholds? No, because it's how they're using those measurables, how they're using in combination with their on-field play. Um, So there's ones that maybe have the short arms and aren't technically sound. There's going to be some issues there, obviously, and there's too many, obviously, red flags there, and those are the guys that are maybe fits to slide inside and help protect those deficiencies. That's great stuff, man, great stuff. Um, so last You're time not going to get any emotional reactions out of me. I'm very <laughs> tempered in everything I kind of think about. Um, I never try to ride the wave of evaluation and the discussion of prospects. There's too much sensationalism with these guys. And uh, it's fun to talk about. It's fun to be dramatic. It's fun to be emotional. It's also fun to be calm and tempered in how we're talking about them, too. Absolutely agree. I, I couldn't agree more there. So last time we, we talked, we talked a lot about offensive prospects. Today we're going to talk about some defensive prospects. Um, you know, I, I think one of the you know recent developments that kind of shook up the board is Caleb Farley's second back surgery. How how do you think teams will react to that? And do you think he'll fall? Do you think he could still be you know under consideration to be the first cornerback off the board? What do you make of his situation this year? Well, it seems like Sertan and uh, J.C. Horn have comfortably kind of separated themselves as Farley was in that mix for a while, of potentially being the first corner. Teams are concerned because he had a torn ACL coming out of high school. He was also a quarterback receiver going to Virginia Tech, converted to corner at Virginia Tech. So he's still a little raw toolsy-wise and technique-wise, but he has some amazing God-given abilities. He is explosive. He has track speed. He's big. He's tall. He's long. He's fast. Sometimes he'll take three steps in coverage and say, screw it. I'm just going to figure it out and use my raw athleticism to get the job done. And a lot of times you could win that way in college. You can't always win that way in the pros. So in combination with his rawness as a cornerback prospect and the injuries, not just the back, but the knee as well, which you always want to make sure those knees are good at cornerbacks, uh, especially if you're a little bit bow-legged with those knees flaring out. Um, So there's just some concern about his rawness, his ability to be ready uh, in year one and be ready for training camp and preseason. Uh, there might be a rumored redshirt year just to shut him down completely, get him completely healthy. 
that doesn't mean he can't be a coveted prospect, as we've yeah. seen, you know, Jeffrey Simmons go to the Titans as an injured prospect. We've seen Sidney Jones go early second round to the Eagles as an injured prospect. You know, Jalen Smith from Notre Dame, injured prospect, early second round. So I think somewhere between 25 and 40 is going to be the right ballpark for Caleb Farley. Yeah, it's going to be so fascinating to see, you know, where he goes because there are teams, there are a lot of teams right in the in the teens after the Chargers that do need a cornerback. So that's going to be interesting to see where he comes off the board. How do you see this second tier of the cornerbacks? You mentioned that it kind of seems like Patrick Sertan and, and J.C. Horn have separated themselves. Uh, you've talked a lot about on, on your Twitter timeline about Greg Newsom and obviously, you know, Paulson Adebo, Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell, Sante Samuel Jr. How do you see this second tier of cornerbacks stacking up this year? Well, Stephen, we get so enamored with the height, weight, speed, press corners this time of year, and those are the ones that get bumped to the top and the cream rises to the top, obviously. There's a lot of teams playing zone coverage in the NFL. Yeah. And it's some of my favorite defenses and some of the best defenses, whether it was Indy or the Rams or the Packers or the Colts or the Bills. Or the Bucks play a lot of zone. The Steelers play a lot of zone. It's a very safe defense. I kind of think man coverage is a little bit broken right now. And if you saw Nick Saban talking about the clinics at the clinics the past couple of weeks and how he doesn't really know how to stop these offenses anymore, it really kind of confirms that. But anyways, so J.C. Horn, Farley, uh, Sertan, the big height, weight, speed, press corners. There's a lot of good zone corners in this class. You just ran off a bunch of them. Asante Samuel Jr., uh, Tyson Campbell, Paulson Adebo, Greg Newsom, Afatu Melifanu, I think would be a really good yeah. zone corner. These are guys that maybe don't have the smooth hips to transition, a little clunky finding the ball down the field, uh, maybe a technique flaw, but they have really good size, really good play temperament, really good tackling ability and physicality. They're guys that maybe you just don't want always running down the field, or maybe they have some size limitations, like Asante Samuel Jr. at 5'10", 185 pounds. Yeah, he's going to get beasted by some 6'4 gazelle receivers that are all over the NFL, and he faced more than a few of them in the ACC. So, <clears throat> excuse me, this next tier of corners, I think, is a really good group, but it somehow knocks them by calling them a zone corner. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's a value, there's a great value for this type of corner in the league. It's becoming more popular. And these guys are just as valuable as the press man corners, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a great conversation. I think the Chargers, obviously, you know, they could go corner in the first round. They could go corner in the second round. And I think this class in general, like you said, has just been kind of undervalued. Um, so under Brandon Staley, you know, he's kind of talked about it. They're going to be very multiple in their coverage schemes. They do play some quarters. They'll play some man. Um, who are some kind of late round cornerbacks that you think could come in and develop into a, a versatile corner prospect that can do a, a little bit of everything for a team like the Chargers? Well, I think they're still going to be kind of zone based, probably play a little bit more zone than the Chargers had the past couple of years. Uh, just trying to replicate his Rams defense, very quarters based, very stressful on the safety positions as they have to key the run and also be back-end players and cut crossers and run with tight ends. Very stressful in that safety position. But some late-round corners I think are interesting. Maybe a Marco Wilson out of Florida, who's a big, tall, long press corner that's played 2,000 snaps in the SEC. 
was just very clunky after that freshman year, after 2017, I believe. If you just looked at his freshman tape, he's a first-round pick. But then they moved him to nickel and moved him to safety and just not technically sound, but a really interesting height-weight speed player that showed up at his pro day with all sorts of 99th percentile metrics in the vertical, the broad, the bench press, a really interesting player there. I really think these Georgia uh, defensive backs are going to be great pros, whether it's Tyson Campbell, like we talked about. Eric Stokes is more of the press man guy. It's probably going to go in round two with the 4-2 speed. But DJ Daniel is a tough SOB corner out there. He's a no-nonsense guy. He's kind of a hybrid of the two of them that I think would be a great fit, maybe sliding him into nickel uh, for that cornerback position there. Um, but, yeah, it's an interesting class. There's some really big corners as well, whether it's Keith Taylor at Washington, who's 6-2, but Benjamin St. Juice at Minnesota, who's 6'3", 200 pounds, fast, long. I think these are the new types of corners where I want guys that can engulf receivers and will tackle and really disrupt with those long limbs. I don't necessarily need the twitchy guys with all these zone coverages. I need guys with the physicality, the shoulders, the kind of, you know, hold up in the run game, hold up with all that perimeter action, and just be able to disrupt and get their hands on some balls. So some of these really big corners I think would be good fits. Yeah, you know, that's funny because uh, we had Brentley Weissman of the Draft Network on a couple weeks ago, and he also mentioned Benjamin St. Juice. So it uh, seems like that is definitely someone that Chargers fans should keep an eye on. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned the safety position because, you know, I've kind of felt for the last few weeks that, you know, everybody, you know, in terms of Chargers fans kind of pegs them as a team that's going to take a cornerback early. But, you know, I could see them taking a safe, one of these safeties in the second round. And, and like you said, it, this defense puts so much stress on them. Do you think this safety class, in terms of, like, the top, is it Trayvon Merrig and uh, Richie Grant and everybody else, or do you think that there's somebody else that could, you know, sneak in there and and be, you know, a top safety off the board too? Yeah, it seems like Trayvon Merrig is going to be the first-round safety. I call Jeremiah Wusukoromoa a safety, a big nickel, but obviously a different type of prospect. Hey, I do too, man. I I, I don't understand this thing that he's going to be, like, an inside linebacker. I think he's a safety, but – uh, Me too, and I like to categorize these players as city players or country players. Okay. City, city, city players, tight spaces, in the box. You want to mix it up in the phone booth. Country players, you want out in space. You want out there in the perimeter and be able to use that athleticism. I think JOK is a country player. I want to use his athleticism to cover ground, work to the sideline. The second you get him in confined spaces and have to take on guards, he's suddenly not so athletic. Suddenly <laughs> – Suddenly you have to look at the sand in the pants and to see, oh, he's 215. We really need him to be 225, and then you lose yeah. a step. And I want him to be that big nickel, which is taking over the NFL. The small cornerback, that small nickel, is really a dying breed because they're just getting picked on in the run game, getting picked on with perimeter receiver action. I think he'd be a great fit to be somebody's big nickel out there in the slot so you could blitz them and run support and all that stuff. But the safety group is really interesting. I don't know if it's super top-heavy. But there's some great prospects right in, like, the meat of the draft and all in the kind of day two, round three ballpark, whether you mentioned Richie Grant, Talanoa Hufunga is a really good player at USC if the medicals check out. Jacoby Stevens, LSU, had a great year in 2018-19. LSU collectively didn't look great in 2020. Yeah. He's like a day three version of Jeremiah Wusukoromo, in my opinion. He played all over the field. He's explosive, very athletic. He's a playmaker at all three levels. Divine Diablo, Whew. if you want a clone of like a Derwin James in this draft, 
it's got to be Diablo at 6'3", 225, former four-star receiver, great athleticism, great special teams. If you want a cover four quarter safety that you know can come down and essentially hit like a linebacker but has the savviness to play backwards and the ball skills, that's a divine Diablo. But you better get him quick because there's a lot of teams playing more quarters these days, and they're going to want a divine Diablo to pair uh, in their safety group. But if you look at Brandon Staley coming from the Rams, he survived last year with Troy Reader and Micah Kaiser at linebacker. Those yeah. safeties behind him were incredible in John Johnson and Jordan Fuller. So in projecting forward to the Chargers, you better have two dogs at safety back there. That's a great point. That is a great point. And I'm really glad you mentioned Divine Diallo because I think he is is definitely one of the players that's been a little, you know, slept on, as they say. So I'm glad you mentioned the special teams as well. It's a huge need for the Chargers. They were one of the worst units in probably, you know, the last decade last year. Um, who are some of your favorite special teams players in this draft that maybe we could see come off of day three and make a good impact in that regard for the Chargers and other teams as well. Oh, man, it's middle of April, and we got a guy focusing on special teams. Nobody, <laughs> nobody cares about special teams until our punt coverage, you know, gives up a touchdown exactly. or we get a punt block, and everybody's saying, what about our special teams? But I love putting value on special teams because that makes their floor that much higher. It makes them that much safer of a prospect and yeah. that you can get production elsewhere. So Divine Diablo – is the leader in the clubhouse on my board with 739 career special team snaps all over the place. I used to think 500 was a big threshold, but this group, there's been a bunch that have raised that. So Justin Hilliard, Ohio State, hasn't played a whole lot. Linebacker, he was kind of buried on the depth chart, had some injuries. He contributed wherever he could. He's a 700-plus special teamer. Trey Brown at Oklahoma, kind of an undersized corner at like 5'9" probably going to move to nickel in the NFL. Another guy, 700-plus special teams. Have you watched Avery Williams at Boise State? I cannot believe he wasn't on on the combine invite list. He'll be my first pick of non-combine guys to get drafted. I know people are saying there was no combine, but there was an invite list uh, handed out by the NFL. He was not on it, despite being a special team stalwart. He's a guy that said, I want to be Matthew Slater which is pretty sick of a college player to have that kind of projection and thought. But eight return touchdowns as a returner, three block kicks, great corner, great safety, great nickel. He's a guy that I think is going to just make somebody's team better. And a bunch of athletic linebackers around there, whether it's Garrett Wallow at TCU, Buddy Johnson at Texas A&M, teams that maybe didn't have the great team success, but they have a lot of athleticism in their own kind of package in a vacuum. So these are some guys that maybe aren't day one starters, but they're going to show up and be a four-core special teamer with a smile on their face. <laughs> and maybe that doesn't make yeah. highlights on SportsCenter, and they're not going to get a lot of conversation in the summer at training camp. But these are the ones that really make or break games and kind of uh, fill out the back end of your roster. It's not always who the best guys are. Sometimes it's who the worst guys are. Who's that back end, and what are they doing for your team? So these are the guys you want to definitely fill out your roster with. Yeah, you know, it's funny because if the Chargers were even just like below average, I don't think we'd be having that conversation. But, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you happen to ever watch the Patriots game from this past year. And it was like it wasn't I even. Chargers special team stigma going back from my days where I worked on the show Playbook and NFL Network uh, for a couple of years. There was a season I think you guys went through five or six long snappers. 
would have surprised me. <laughs> he just had a weird run on injuries of long snappers, and there was all sorts of bad snaps and blocked punts that season. And I remember studying the punters or the chargers to see how many steps they were taking on their drops to see are they taking too many steps into the, the punt block. And anyways, long story short, I have this weird stigma of Chargers being a bad special teams group. Well, you know, it's definitely been a big issue. That probably was that same year where they went 8-8, eight and eight, even though they had the best offense and best defense in the league. So it's it's been an <laughs> issue forever. Um, but thankfully it seems like this group finally has, you know, they're going to put the proper emphasis on it. So I might have which, a couple of Dante Hall flashes too from the yeah, early 2000s oh, and him, him carving up the uh, special teams coverage. Oh, yeah, always. But he did that to everybody, to be yeah, fair. So. <laughs> um, we'll get you out of here on this. This has been fantastic. Um, who are some of your late day two, early day three sleepers, regardless of position, doesn't have to be defense, that you think are going to come on, come in and, you know, outkick their coverage, be very productive NFL players despite, you know, being not a, a top 50 selection? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I would pound the table for any of these BYU offensive linemen. Zach Wilson stole all the thunder with his right arm and the playmaking ability. This is a run-first offense with a dominant, nasty offensive line. I love Brady Christensen at left tackle. I think their right guard, Tristan Hodge, is a good player. I think their right tackle, Chandon Herring, is a good player. I don't know where any of them get drafted. I have a tough time finding a spot for Brady Christensen with this deep tackle group. It seems like people like the Samuel Cosmes and Liam Eikenbergs a little bit better than him. So he might be a third-round pick. He might be an early day three guy that I think is a day one starter for his own scheme team. There's also a lot of interesting kind of weapons out there. It's a deep slot. I call them slot backs. They're guys that are essentially slot receivers, but essentially you just want the ball in their hands. Yeah. Whether they just want to call them a returning threat or a yards after catch threat, a screen threat. But we know the top guys in Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore, and, you know, Kadarius Toney. But guys like Amur Smith-Marset at Iowa, I think is just as good just without the production. I mean, they had Nate Stanley throwing them for a couple of years. So he had a little <laughs> bit of quarterback issues. Yeah. Their past two years, they said, you know what? Just come run a jet sweep, and we're just going to hand you the ball if we can't get it to you in the pass game. And he was a prolific player with the ball in his hands. Reminded me a lot of Ted Ginn. If he was at Ohio State or a big program, I think we're talking about a top 50 player. And there's guys like this all over the draft, whether it's, you know, D. Eskridge at Western Michigan, who was able to show yeah. off a little bit, I think, down at the Senior Bowl. He's a guy with 4-3 speed for days. Um, so there's a lot of guys like that that I just see so much in the meat of the draft that round three, four, five, day one starters, contributors, role players, guys you can get on-field production from essentially in year one, in my opinion, if all goes right. Um, I just see a lot of guys that have some ability to contribute right away, uh, right in that meat of the draft. So if you're a team at the back end of round one, maybe like, a, you know, a Saints, a Packers, maybe even. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Chargers, the stockpile, some more day two picks. A lot of teams are kind of going that direction, so it might not be a bad strategy to sub out that pick in the 20s for maybe a, another second-round pick or a third-round pick. Absolutely. I think this is a very deep and talented offensive class. You know, We'll see about the defense, but I think you know there are some really good prospects at positions of need for the Chargers. So, Ben, this has been so awesome, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us, um, and we look forward to seeing your coverage over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's an exciting time down the home stretch, and then of course on to 2022, which is going to be a wild class with all these returnees to college. And but we'll save that for another show. <laughs> Absolutely, Ben. Thank you so much. <laughs> Take care. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. All right, so guys, let's dive into this top 50. I think we should start with the players who just missed the cut. So um, each of us have, I have four quarterbacks in my top 50. I think Tyler has four, and Alex actually has five. So each of us chose our the next players on our list that would have made the top 50 if we did not include quarterbacks, right? Because, you know, some of the decisions that went into this is, is very specific to the Chargers. So I think it's important to mention these players that would have made the top 50 if we did not include quarterbacks. So, Tyler, why don't you kick us off with your four players that you have on your list that would have made your top 50 if you took off the quarterbacks? Yeah, one I hated to leave off. I realized I miscounted, so I had 51 originally. So I had to take one of these guys off, and I took off Trey Smith. I really, really like Trey Smith a lot as a football player. Unfortunately, I can't ignore the injuries, or not the injuries, but the the medical concerns. And because my board is a little bit of a combination of grades, position rankings, you know, value, and those medical concerns, I had to put him, you know, off. I would definitely put him on this list. Like, if we were just doing grades, he'd probably be my top 40. But just because I have to consider some of those those other issues, I had to knock him off. Another guy I knocked off is Des Fitzpatrick, the wide receiver from Louisville, who I love. Like Steven and I for sure have loved him like since the moment we watched him. Yeah. Um, crushed at senior bowl practice. And then just the more you watch him, the more you realize that this guy and there's very few like outside guys in this draft. And he's definitely one that you can get probably on maybe day two at this point, but possibly day three. Um, another one is Jabril Cox, the linebacker slash safety hybrid from LSU. Um, I was kind of down on him, but still, like, he would be in my top, you know, 50 if I didn't have quarterbacks. It's not like I hate him. Uh, I was just down on him just a little bit. And then finally, Davion Nixon, the interior defensive lineman from Iowa, a guy who I like as a pass rusher, but not so much as a run defender. Um, he's my interior defensive lineman three, so I do have two in my top 50, and we'll get into those in a bit. Yeah, I think that's a, I think those are good conversations to have, right? Because Des Fitzpatrick, I think, is outstanding. Obviously, Jabril Cox and Trey yeah. Smith. You know, the Trey Smith thing is interesting. You know, if you listen to Vox Lombardi or Vox Lombardi, 
Um, he has Trey Smith listed as a tackle, which I think is a super interesting conversation. Uh, Trey Smith did play as an offensive tackle, I think, as a freshman, uh, and then they moved him to guard. Um, the interior defensive line class, it's, it's no secret. I'm not the biggest fan of them. I don't have a single one, even if you stretch this out to 54. Um, but that's just kind of my preference. Alex, uh, we'll get to you next, man. You have five quarterbacks, uh, in the top 50. So why, let's, let's get to that quarterback conversation first with you. Cause the, you know, Tyler and I don't have five. So you have five. Why did you feel like you had to put Mac Jones in your top 50? And then after that, who are your five that just missed the cut? Um, I mean, I do feel like Mac Jones is like a, I don't know, second or third round talent. Like I, he is talented, <laughs> not top three talented um, in the draft. <laughs> you know, he did have a really good season this year. And I think, you know, if you're talking about like a Kirk Cousins type of player, like those are kind of the guys that go in like the second or third round. So, um, I wasn't overly impressed by him, and he's definitely, after Zach Wilson on my list, it's a pretty steep drop-off. Mac Jones is at 48. I think Zach Wilson is at 22-ish. Um, but, you know, I, I did have to include him because he is probably very likely to be drafted in the top 10, and I think he was, you know, talented enough to warrant, you know, being on the list. Granted, if, if you do make it more of a Chargers list, then, you know, maybe Mac Jones wouldn't be on here. Um, and that was kind of a difference in philosophy. I just did straight up, you know, who are my best 50 players. Uh, yeah. My top five guys that would have made the list but were just on the outside were Joe Tryon, Edge from uh, Washington. Really wanted to fit him in the top 50, but there were just quite a few edges. I just couldn't put him over when I was making my rankings, so I put him at 51. Uh, Deami Brown is at 52. I know that's uh, kind of Steven's crush, and I, I like him a lot, but it's just the wide receivers are super – so competitive this year and like the fact that I have yeah. nine and you know he's just the 10th like that's kind of indicative of the wide receiver talent in this draft in my opinion uh pretty Christensen really good I think that's you know the, the right range for him just in terms of like where the draft is uh I haven't counted exactly how many offense tackles I had I think I had six so that would make pretty Christensen my OT seven um, I think he was really impressive, obviously, is a you know physical specimen, and I think can, he's one of the few second-round tackles, or to the end of the second-round tackles, I should say, that I think can play kind of on day one, uh, which kind of led to me putting him as high as he is. And then uh, I've edged Joseph Asai uh, from Texas. Uh, I, I think he would fit really well in a Brandon Staley scheme if he were to be drafted. I don't think they're going to be going edge in the second round, but do think he's really impressive, and I have Javon Holland from Oregon uh, at 55. That's a good list, man. I, I think, you know, obviously the one that I'm going to disagree with is, is uh, obviously De'Ami Brown as well as Joseph Osai, but Brady Christensen is, a, is an interesting study, right, because he tested in, like, the 97th percentile, and, like, I thought he was a good athlete on tape, but then you see him test like that, and it was, you know, you had to go back and revisit, so um, I think he's an interesting one to keep an eye on for the Chargers, like, you know, we've kind of been talking about how they'll value length. And, you know, Brady Christensen is probably like my, like the cutoff of like, okay, I'm okay with this guy starting for the Chargers from day one at left tackle. But, I mean, he does, he did measure under the 33 inch arm threshold. So that's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, you know, just the thing I think when making this list is, you know, I 
didn't make it as much of a, like, oh, this guy fits the Chargers really well type list. I just kind of yeah. did straight up who are my top 50. So I think that uh, and the fact that I didn't, like, grade based on numbers, <laughs> um, that will probably be, like, the biggest differences in yeah. uh, me and Steven and, and Tyler's list probably. Yeah, so yeah, it, what's it, up with you not liking numbers, man? You're like my whole draft <laughs> value chart and the draft <laughs> way is like, who cares about math? <laughs> Fine. Hey, you know who doesn't care about math is Michael Lombardi. Um, <laughs> or Christmas anyways. today, apparently. Oh, Christmas. <laughs> Christmas is a dummy. Um, so let's get into these lists. Do you guys want to go one through ten first, or should we start at the bottom 50 first? I think we should start from the bottom. All right, there we go. So we'll start with the – oh, I didn't get my, my four players, so jumping wow. in a little bit. Um, so my four players that just missed the cut are Terrace Marshall, the wide receiver from LSU. Um, big fan of him. I think he's kind of going to be an interesting one to watch as well because this draft is so heavy with slot receivers. But Terrace Marshall, you know, he is, he's got uh, prototypical size. I think he's 6'3", and so his kind of size and length is really going to put him – uh, separate him from the rest in terms of physical profile. Um, and then Brevin Jordan, you know, we, me and Tyler have been, you know, pretty steady with how we feel about him. Um, it's just unfortunate because, you know, he did test very, very poorly. And so, you know, you have to go back in and watch that. And I do great athleticism for that kind of position. Um, so I moved him down a little bit. And then, uh, Tylen Wallace, the wide receiver from Oklahoma State, I think is one of the most underrated players in this class. I think people watch him at Oklahoma State and just see him catch a bunch of jump balls and think that's all he can do. Um, and I really kind of disagree with that assessment. And so Tylen Wallace is somebody that I think is going to be a very good pro. And then the last player is Cameron Bynum, the safety slash corner from Cal. Um, I know a lot of people are going to be like, wow, that is super rich, but I just love the way that he plays, man. He's so physical. He's got great ball skills, and he moves all around all over the field at Cal. Um, I do think that he's probably a safety or a big nickel uh, in the NFL, and that's fine. I think he's going to have a good amount of value, but I don't really care about, like, the perception of him. I just really, really enjoyed watching him play, love the way that he approaches the game and and just – the physicality and tackling presence that he brings. So I, I, I couldn't leave Cameron Bynum off. I know I'm going to be much higher on him than most, but I'm just a big, big fan of his. It's all good. I mean, you, he was, what, 200-something on TDN, and, you know, hey, we did a mock draft, and I, I mocked a guy who was in 400-something. So, you know, I get it. I think that your decision to put him as a safety, I think, helps his grade here, and so this makes yeah. more sense to me. I mean, he was originally a corner. I didn't like him as much, but you bumped him to safety, and I kind of get that. So. Um, I have him a little bit underneath you. I don't have him in my top 55, but I get it. Like, I'm not going to bash you just because he's your 50-whatever-th player. <laughs> yeah, so let's get to these top 50. We're going to go from 50 up to uh, 41. Um, what, we're just going to rattle off the, the names, and then we'll see, you know, what kind of stands out from each, uh, each of our choices. Um, I'll go first here, since we started with the other way. So I'll go first here. Number 50 on my list is Ifiatu Melifanu, the cornerback from Syracuse. Again, another player that I feel like is being very much slept on. Number 49 is Carlos Boogie Basham, the edge from Wake Forest, someone that I've been very high on from day one. Next is Javon Holland, the safety from Oregon. And then Des Fitzpatrick, the wide receiver from Louisville. Eric Stokes, the cornerback from Georgia. Gregory Rousseau, the edge rusher from Miami. Alex Leatherwood, a new addition to my list, the offensive tackle from Alabama. 
Michael Carter, the running back from North Carolina, and Wyatt Davis, the interior offensive lineman from Ohio State. And then rounding it out is Kadarius Toney, the wide receiver from Florida. So, guys, what are your thoughts uh, on the bottom of my list here? I think it's pretty good, uh, you know, 50 to 40 range, just because I think guys are going to go in there. I wouldn't be shocked if a team took Kadarius Toney um, pretty early, but, uh, you know, I have him around the same kind of range on my list. I think I actually have him, yeah, you have him at 41, I have him at 42, so pretty similar valuations. Um Rousseau is a little bit low to me, but I know both you and Tyler are lower on him than I am. Uh, and then, yeah, no, I, I definitely think Ifea, too, while he's not on my list, has definitely been rocketing, uh, rocketing up the draft boards in stock, and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him taken in the second round. Yeah. I have not watched Melifonwu, so I can't say anything about him, but Rousseau is such an interesting one because I heard you talk about him. We've talked about him at, like, 13, but then you see him here at your 40 40- you know, yeah. fifth overall player. Such an interesting conversation, the one you have with Brentley, what we've been having all off season. You know, where to place this guy, I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm lower on him. Like, even though you have him 45th, I think you, and like, I have him at 40, 39. And so I think we could both see him going earlier than that, though. Especially yeah. where we have him ranked. And it is somewhat realistic. You do have to look at what he did. Um, but I think he'll go higher because of what he can be. Talk to me about Javon Holland, though, because I saw him I think it was PFF had him as an outside corner. I have not watched him, but I know a couple of, oh. like, that's kind of a discussion. So is that is that viable? Is that a thing that's happening? Or I mean, I think he could do it in a pinch. Like, I, I certainly would not place him primarily as an outside corner. Um, to me, he's kind of a nickel-slash-free safety hybrid. I think that's kind of where he, he played best. Oregon really played him at nickel cornerback and that was pretty much about it. You know, it it was a little odd because Javon Holland is a little bit bigger and longer than uh, Thomas Graham and Thomas Graham was the outside corner and Javon Holland was, you know, a nickel slash safety hybrid. So I just look at like his athletic profile and the way that he sees the field. I I would prefer to have him back as a free safety and in like a too high shell kind of look. I wouldn't put him, you know, in a single high free safety look, and I definitely wouldn't put him in the box. So I, I think mm-hmm. his fit is a little weird in in terms of, like, the NFL because, you know, he's not going to be someone that a cover three team is like, yeah, we want to put Javon Holland at free safety or we want to put him at exclusively at nickel. And so I think the fit is a little clunky for a lot of the league, but, it, you know, specifically for the Chargers, I think you could put him in this slot. You can put him at free safety in a too high shell or, or strong safety. Um, I I don't think he can play outside. I think he can do it occasionally, but I, I wouldn't put him on an island out there at all. That might have been my mistake. It was a list of corners. It might have just been a list of corners, not necessarily outside or inside. But I know okay. J.C. Horn wasn't happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> he lets yeah. people know when he's not happy on Twitter. He does, man. He does. <laughs> I, I, love his, I love that he called out PFF twice. Um, all right, Alex, <laughs> let's get to you. Alex, let's get to your list, uh, 50 through 41. Uh, 55 wide receiver Anthony Schwartz from Auburn, uh, linebacker Zaven Collins from Tulsa at 49, Alabama quarterback Mac Jones at 48, uh, Stanford's Paulson Adebo at 47, Carlos Basham Edge at 46, Richie Grant safety at 45, uh, Trey Smith from Tennessee, interior offensive line at 44, Revan Jordan uh, from Miami at 43, Kadarius Tony at 42, like I just mentioned, at wide receiver, 
and uh, Peyton Turner from Houston Edge at 41. So Tyler and like Alex it, both have – yeah, both of you guys have Peyton Turner in your top 50. I don't. Um, so let's talk about Peyton Turner, Alex. What do you what do you see specifically in Turner that warrants a uh, – where do you have him at 41? Yeah, I do have him at 41. Um, I don't know. He, he, someone mentioned – I think it was Brett Coleman on Twitter was like, well, I added up all my grades. <laughs> it turns out that Peyton <laughs> Turner was – was there um he, he has a lot of like kind of quick burst uh quickness um just really is good at standing up as a, as a pass rusher I just think he if they you know I'd like to take him in the third round if he's there but you do see his stock kind of moving up um I would not be mad at all if they took him in the second round and I just think he's a really hard worker uh and I think that you can kind of put him in any edge scheme and he'll just yeah. sort of work uh, and that's why, you know, I Vaca Lombardi had him at 32, I have him at 41. Like, it's just really hard not to like him. <laughs> and that was just the thing yeah. I noticed when, when watching him. Uh, I understand why people would be lower uh, and why some people will be higher. But for me, I just think you look at his uh, physical traits, obviously 6'6", 270, and you just look at his, his quickness. And that's what they, the, this team needs off the edge, both in terms of, uh, both in terms of size and length. So I think he would be a perfect mm-hmm. second-round pick. Uh, and I think, you know, if they take him there, uh, I would really like it. Yeah, I like the surprise of, of Brett Coleman saying that, oh, my God, he's my you know, edge three. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, the way we have him graded is he's not my edge three, but the, we have him graded and the things that we grade him on, some of them are scheme versatility, short area yeah. quickness, and motor and effort. And he definitely has those things in spades. Right. So I can understand why, you know, you're just doing the grades. You're not looking at what everybody else is. And suddenly you add those things up, and his grade's really high because he does check a lot of boxes. He's a great, great interview. I think the interview that you guys did with him was great. Um, high effort kind of guy, huge guy, tons of upside. So, yeah, him being in my top, he's my 45th guy. Like, I don't have, I don't like love him. He's my eighth ranked edge guy, but there are a lot of edge guys in this class. Um, but there's a lot to like about him on and off the field. I do have him uh, as my fifth-ranked edge, just looking here and seeing the edges that I have ahead. So, yeah, he is my, my edge five. I think that's a very interesting conversation. The Chargers probably have to take him at 47 if they do want yeah. to take him. Yeah. All right, Tyler, let's get to your list, 50 through 41. Can I bug Alex for one more thing? Alex, yeah, do you not have Eric Stokes intentionally on your list? Uh, no, I do not. Oh, wow, okay. I, I just remember, like, a list that came out that it was, like, he was your top five or top six. Uh, Adebo definitely jumped um, in. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of changed my mind on both of the Georgia guys. I got a lot of flack for not liking, <laughs> <not> liking <laughs> Eric Stokes. And um, what's the other Georgia corner's name? I can't remember his Tyson name. Tyson Campbell. I said Tyson Campbell. I don't know. I I see some potential there, and, like, if I kept going from 55 to, like, 65, I think they probably would have made it in that range. Um, but for mm-hmm. me, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really liked Adebo when rewatching him, and that sort of leaped him into this uh, territory here. And then I also, of course, have the, you know, four, uh, five quarterbacks counting Asante Samuel. So it was just also mm-hmm. really hard to fit the, uh, the Georgia corners in here, too. Yeah, totally get it. I was just curious, just because I know you were slightly higher on him before, but now he's yeah. down. So anyway, my top 50, I have Alex Leatherwood, then I have Wyatt Davis, then Levi Anwuzarike, then Jamin Davis, Revan Jordan, Peyton Turner, Joe Tryon, 
Liam Eikenberg, Christian Barmore, Dylan Verdunes, and that's it. We're stopping at 30, 41, right? Yep. <laughs> okay, yeah, so this cool. is this is an interesting conversation. How close are Joe Tryon and Peyton Turner for you? Because they're obviously they're right next to each other. What was kind of the difference there? Uh, I flipped the coin, honestly, and it was just kind of like whatever <laughs> it was. Um, that's a good question. Actually, looking at this, I probably would flip Turner and Tryon. Yeah, I think I would flip them. I have them just right next to each other. I don't know. I guess Peyton Turner's level of competition is a little bit lower. He didn't play as many games. Like, it's not like – now I'm questioning myself. So <laughs> it wasn't that much of a difference. Like, honestly, it could have been either one. If you told me – if I told you that it was, like, alphabetical, then that would have been, like, my response, I suppose. I, I think, honestly, like, if I remember right, like, the first time that we – had our list up, you had like tiebreaker equals last name or something like that. Alex, anything stand out about uh, Tyler's list right here to start off? Um, Not much. I mean, I have Liam Eikenberg a little bit higher, but I think every one of these guys except, was it, uh, was it Rike? I think he was the mm-hmm. guy that didn't make my top 50, but I think yeah. every one of these guys is in my top 50, so I totally understand uh, why they're there. Yeah, the defensive tackle class, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get some hate for this, but Levi Onzerike is my top graded interior defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think, you know, people have asked me about Christian Barmore. Here's the thing with Barmore, in my opinion. If you watch his playoff run, he's probably like the best defensive player on the field you know, including mm-hmm. over Pat. Stan. But if you watch his game against Missouri, the dude's nowhere. Like, he's not making any kind of plays. And, and yeah. that's kind of, you know, the consistency factor for me is why I put Onzerike up there. And I do think that Onzerike is a little bit more polished as a pass rusher, and he's got an incredibly quick get off. So Onzerike, I think, would probably be like a 56 or 57 for me. Um, but I, I just, you know, the defensive tackle class in general is, is not my favorite this year. Um so we'll move on now. We'll get to my list, 40 through 31. At 40, I have Paulson Adibo, the cornerback from Stanford. I'm all aboard of that train. Uh, next, I have Joseph Osai, the edge rusher from Texas. Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU. Travis Etienne, the running back from Clemson. Jabril Cox at 36, the linebacker from LSU. Rashad Bateman, the receiver from Minnesota at 35. Greg Newsom, the cornerback from Northwestern. Dylan Radunes, the offensive tackle from North, North Dakota State at 33. Deami Brown, my guy, the receiver from North Carolina. And then Asante Samuel Jr., the cornerback from Florida State, rounds out at number 31. Steven, I'm going to have to ask you a question. Uh, now, Zach Wilson being at 40, uh, is that just uh, about your BYU hate boner, or is it something more substantive? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, I fully understand why he's going number two. He's, he's a very talented quarterback, but we do grade ability under pressure for quarterbacks. Um, right. That's something that's very important to me personally. Um, that's kind of why I was not super high on Justin Herbert last year. Um, and so I just, you know, I didn't love the way that Zach Wilson, his pocket presence in general is not my favorite. Um, and we didn't really get to see him truly improve upon that trait this year because he was never under pressure. Like you watch any kind of BYU game and Houston is really the only team that ever got anything close to him uh, and coastal Carolina as well. So that really is is my biggest issue with Zach Wilson, but you know, I totally understand why he's going in the top two. 
I like the way your board like it shows just the depth of the class in general, not necessarily a quarterback, but you know Trey Lance is at 21 for you, and the difference between him and Wilson is only 0.21 on the grade. Yeah, I know Alex numbers, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's just how deep, like deep this class is. You have a lot more guys in like that a certain range. I won't give away your grades, but like, you have like, some of those guys in a certain range. It was interesting to see that even though Wilson is way down there for you, the difference in grades isn't all that different. And that's yeah. partially why I have like on Wizarike in my top 50 because you actually haven't graded higher than I do. It just happens that you like the middle like of this class or like between you know first and second round or so a little bit more than I do. I think. All right, uh, let's get to Alex. Let's get to your list next, man. Uh, yeah, so 40 through 31, uh, Khalil Herbert out of Virginia Tech clocks in at 40, Christian Barmore out of Alabama uh, at 39, Jabril Cox out of LSU, linebacker 38, uh, 37, Jamin Davis, 36, Harris Marshall, wide receiver from LSU, Asante Samuel, cornerback at 35, Tevin Jenkins, 34, offensive tackle, Liam Eikenberg, 33, offensive tackle, uh, and 32, Travis Etienne, and 31, Rondale Moore. Uh, so yeah, that is my, uh, 31 to 40 range. I wonder which one we're going to ask about. <laughs> I don't know is which it, one you're going to ask. running back? <laughs> oh, it might be the running back. <laughs> well, um, I mean, listen, uh, like, uh, I, the Rondell Moore thing is, is, uh, a little rich for my personal taste, but I totally understand that, um, the kind of yeah. athletic profile that he has. So, you know, at 31, you know, why not put... Rondell Moore as a wide receiver. Like, what's the difference between him, you know, and Terrace Marshall and Kadarius Tony for you? Um, I, with Kadarius Tony, I, I think in comparison to Terrace Marshall, because I have him higher up there, I would just say, even though he doesn't have that prototypical size, I just feel like some team, based on how he's athletically tested, can bring him to uh, a deeper wide receiver route running tree. Um, you know, so I can't write off how well he tested to some extent because, and, you know, obviously he was really great at Purdue. Um, I totally understand why you don't see him as a complete receiver. And, you know, uh, but for me, we've seen, I guess, just so many guys come into the league that um, have had the athleticism and then just develop into the position. Um, You know, obviously the exception to that is a guy like John Ross, for example, um, yeah. you know, which which may be uh, sort of the athletic comp uh, in terms of just like, oh, the wow, this guy is a freak athlete, so let's draft him. But I don't think Rondale Moore is going to go quite that high because he has a bunch of receivers in front of him. Uh, and I just think he's worth taking more of a chance on just because of his strength and um, just his ability to, uh, even if it's a limited route, uh, route tree, I think his speed also kind of kills um, versus John Ross. I don't know. That dude can kind of only run in a straight line, which, you know, mm-hmm. was sort of his downfall in the NFL. So that's why I have him at 31. Um, you know, uh, I kind of wrote on the side here that, like, you know, people comparing him to Tyreek Hill makes me cringe a little bit um, <laughs> just because that's every short wide receiver who's fast now. Um, but I do think he does have the athletic traits that, you know, I'm willing to bet on a little bit more. And, and there are more of these guys – up the list where I just see the raw athleticism and I'm like, okay. And there are other guys too, where I do see the raw athleticism and I don't buy it, but with Rondale Moore and just his tape and seeing, thinking about what coaches could do with him at the next level. um, That's kind of why he ended up where he was for me. 
I totally get that. And the Rondell Moore experience for me has been interesting because I went on Twitter and I was like, yeah, wow. You know, if he were really healthy, I think right. he'd be one of like the best receivers in this class. Um, and then Stephen's like, oh, <laughs> he was, Stephen wasn't super thrilled with my decision. <laughs> um, but then, you know, like Stephen, I think like watched a little more like the Ohio State game. I got a little higher on him. Yeah. And then I listened to what Stephen was saying. And now I'm just a little bit lower on him um, as a receiver. And then you factor in the injuries to it. And he is yeah. off my list. But I completely understand why you would have him in here. Because the potential, I think, is there for sure. Um, the Tyreek Hill comp is eh. I do like the Steve Smith comp. Not that I like it. Like, he's going to be Steve Smith. But it's just interesting the way he runs. And So I get it. Uh, but I do want to ask about Khalil Herbert, man. Like, are you putting a Herbert in your top 50 just to make up for not liking Justin Herbert last season? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, you know, you, you, you got to learn from your previous drafts. And uh, <laughs> I think that's one of the lessons you learned. But, um... I, so I think in terms of running backs, I had Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, Najee Harris. So that would make Khalil yeah. Herbert my running back four uh, on this list. And I know that's going to be high for people because some people see him as like running back 10. Um, but I don't know. He, he's one of those guys like Anthony Schwartz who was on the list earlier at 50. Um, and I think he sort of proved it more in terms of his in terms of his stats, in terms of his play style. Like, I just see kind of an NFL running back in there. And it's, um yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see where he actually lands. I think he's going to be more of a fifth, sixth round, day three pick. But just in terms of uh, the talent, you know, how he blocks, uh, how he contributes on plays, uh, and sort of his, you know, will, I, I did kind of have to factor that into uh, him being in my top 50, uh, obviously. Mm-hmm. I also don't think it's a great running back class, to be perfectly honest. Like, after Travis Etienne and Javante Williams, I was just sort of like, eh, all these guys are kind of either the same yeah. or they don't stand out. So if I watch tape and a guy does stand out, you know, I, I was more willing to give him credit because of how sort of watered down I feel like this running back group is. I definitely mm-hmm. agree with that conversation because, you know, Khalil Herbert is my running back five as well. Um, but the drop-off from Michael Carter to Khalil Herbert is is a little steep, though. So right. I do think yeah. that Michael Carter does belong in that conversation. Um, you know, but I think, you know, Najee Harris and Javante Williams, for me personally, have really separated themselves. Um, and then Travis Etienne and Michael Carter have been kind of, you know, jockeying for position there. Um, all right, Tyler, let's get to your list, 40 to 31. Yeah, the theme of this section seems to be guys that are good, but there's something like right. not quite all the way there. So 40, I have Joseph Osai from Texas, then Gregory Rousseau from Miami, Deami Brown from North Carolina, Carlos Basham from Wake Forest, Zayvon Collins from Tulsa, Travis Etienne from Clemson, Eric Stokes from Georgia, Kadarius Tony from Florida, Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State, and Samuel Cosme from Texas. Um, so I guess – on, on this list where you put uh, Cosme there, did yeah. he did he improve for you, I guess, as time went on? Because I, I feel like I remember you being a little bit lower on him earlier, and then now you were kind yeah. of higher on him because Steven was higher on him too. Um, but, yeah, so did that sort of improve for you uh, over time? Uh, I Actually, not really. I think what it really was is I believe on this list I put Elijah Vera Tucker – as interior offensive lineman. And so it uh-huh. kind of like bumps in, like, I think I always had him in like the OT five through seven kind of range. Um, but either way, like I do feel specifically with Cosme, there's so much to love about him that I definitely want him in that top five. 
but I just can't put him in any higher just because there are some there's there's issues on tape, and I get the idea of traits right. and gambling on those traits and having a guy like Garrett Bowles eventually you know becomes a great tackle in the league. But for right now, based on what he did, I just can't put him you know higher yet. But so I think I think I've always been about right here with him. Mm. I think that's a fair assessment, honestly. I, I know that I'm you know one of the few that. Uh, is very much higher on Samuel Cosby, and you'll see just how higher I have him uh, in a second. But um, the one that I think is interesting because, you know, you've been, you know, very high on Asante Samuel Jr., you know, pretty much this entire time. So having him, you know, down yeah. there at 32, how close was he to jumping into your top 25 or top 20, so to speak? Oh, he would have if, – if we took out some quarterbacks, I'd, I mean, I think he would jump into my top – I mean, not. I mean, here he's on twenty. What is he? Thirty-two. So he yeah. wouldn't have dropped into uh, top twenty-five. But like, I like him more than my ranking. I suppose. I just. I think he's great at everything he does. But I do have to consider the athletic limitations, like of this list of this like section of ten guys, where I like them. But his limitation is going to be his his height, and you know the general lack of you know physical skills, which I don't like to say because I love him so much. Um, but I just can't have him higher than than some of the guys who have a little bit more of a complete package. You know what I mean? Like I, I really like him, but he's just not quite in my top 25. But if I took out the quarterbacks, um, he'd be in my top 30. So I, I think that's about right. The Chargers pick at 47. I think he'll go before 47. So I think that's about right for me. Yeah. I, I agree with that one as well. So we'll get to him in a second for, or wait, I had him at 31. So that, that works out for me as well. All right, let's move on to the next one. I'm sure this is going to be uh, very fun for Alex particular in the, to hear this section. Uh, at number 30, I have Liam Eikenberg, the offensive tackle from Notre Dame. There's Javante Williams, the running back from North Carolina. Zayvon Collins, the linebacker from Tulsa. Trey Smith, the interior offensive lineman from Tennessee. Patrick Sertan, the cornerback from Alabama at 26. Quiddy Pay, the edge rusher from Michigan at 25. Landon Dickerson, the interior offensive lineman from Alabama. Elijah Moore, the receiver from Ole Miss at 23. Christian Darisaw, the offensive tackle from Virginia Tech. At 22, and then at 21, Trey Lance, the quarterback from North Dakota State. Stephen, why do you like being wrong? Um, <laughs> Patrick Sertan at 28, I mean, unbelievable. But uh, in general, I, I do like Javante Williams' placement here. Uh, Trey Smith being there is nice, too. Uh, Landon Dickerson, I think yeah. I actually have him almost exactly the same spot. I think you have them three spots higher, but overall, you know, good list. I'm a little higher on Christian Darius, as we'll, as we'll see as we go forward. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I do think uh, th- this is a pretty good list. Trey Lance being at uh, 21, I think I have Trey Lance a little bit higher. Just, well, you know, I, I also didn't really evaluate Chargers fit too much, so I just kind of had him as an overall big board, so that's why Trey Lance is kind of higher. Sure. But, um Patrick Sertan at 28, explain yourself, or 26, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You know, to be fair, like, you know, Tyler was just saying, you know, he has a 6.8 grade for me. Um, 6.9 was was our cutoff for first first round grades. Um, You know, for me, just the cornerback position in general, um, I just think that Patrick Sertan makes a little too many business decisions, in my opinion, when it comes to tackling. Um, And the other thing I will say is that, you know, when it comes to ball production, which is something that I do value quite a bit, we didn't see a whole lot of quarterbacks go his way this year. And so I think that kind of, you know, throws his grade down a little bit. But I, I still think he's a fantastic player. I, I just think that, you know, I, I like the cornerbacks ahead of him a little bit more, obviously, 
Um, but I do think if the Chargers took him at 13, I, I would be pretty happy with that pick. They didn't go his way because he's the best corner in the country. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Alex, I will say you've made a very good case for Patrick Sertan for me. Yeah, and yeah. when I checked the pro football focus grades and not the grades, but the stats and his work in the run game, statistically, he turned out better than I thought he did. So you made a really good pitch for him. You were back in that whole time. I tried to fact check myself. And obviously now he's, he's, if you look at my list, we'll get into it. But I think you're happy about where he is uh, relative to my, uh, another corner, if you will, that we talked about before. So yeah. um, the other one I want to talk about with, with Steven, I can't believe Christian Derrissaw is ahead of Elijah Moore and Landon Dickerson. Cause those are like your <laughs> guys. Like you have like a half an hour yeah. of breakdown on, on YouTube for Elijah Moore and Landon Dickerson. And then Derrissaw ended up ahead of them. So first of all, the, grade is the grade is lower but you have him higher is there a reason like what happened here uh yeah the reason is that I updated his grade and then on the offensive tackle page and then forgot to update it on the big board um so he does have the exact same grade as Elijah Moore and Landon Dickerson they're both at 6.85 um and then the positional Mm -hmm. value of the offensive tackle obviously outweighs the positional value of wide receiver and interior offensive line um this is this is kind of where you know, like I stuck to my grades. And so, you know, I did when I'm looking at players, like I do take notes on like how they would fit with the Chargers. But, you know, I'm not taking into consideration medicals like Tyler is. Otherwise, Landon Dickerson, there's no way that he should be that high. Um, but I do love him as a player for sure. Um, the other thing with mm-hmm. Christian Derrissaw here, you know, I think a lot of people have really kind of soured on him recently. And, you know, I, I tweeted this out, but I did want to address this here because I, I think the narratives about him sure. being lazy just are not fair. They're not accurate, and really it just doesn't make any sense to me how anyone can watch Christian Derrissaw go downfield, run stride for stride with Khalil Herbert or a receiver, and be like, nah, man, that mm-hmm. guy's lazy. Like, I'm not about it. So what, I, what right. I'll say about Christian Derrissaw and, like, his effort issues, if you want to call them, I think there's a big – difference a huge difference between not looking for work after you take care of your business and being lazy and so I think that is yeah. the case with Christian Derrissaw because like sure like I would love to see him you know take care of his own assignment and then go look for work but at least he's taking care of his assignment right like he'll throw someone down True. to the ground and and that's good like that's all he does and that's totally fine but he's also a tackle. Like looking for work is much more of a guard attribute than it is a tackle attribute. Mm. So I, I just think the concerns for Derrissaw have gotten really out of hand. Um, and I know that I have him at 22, but I would be very happy with the Chargers taking him at 13. Um, and if he's their guy, he certainly fits the profile of what Brandon Staley was talking about. So Christian Derrissaw, I think, you know, don't overthink it when it comes to watching Christian Derrissaw on YouTube is pretty much what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I totally disagree with the narrative that he's lazy too. Um, you know, he'll be on my list at some point in the future. Um, but I just think, you know, even though he's not like a, a finisher type, uh, or maybe he's not the finisher that Sewell or Slater are, uh, I just can't discount his work in the run game and, yeah. you know, just his overall not allowing pressures as a dominant offensive tackle. Uh, he's just insane. Yeah, I, I do want to see, like, a little more urgency out of him. And really what I mean by that is him getting to his spot quicker. I think sometimes he really mm-hmm. lets the defensive end come to him. And I would I just want to see him be a little more aggressive out of his stance. And that's really, like, my personal biggest concern right. with him. 
Um, but to say like he's lazy or he, you know, he doesn't play hard. Like to me, that's just not accurate. So I uh, just wanted to talk about that. Um, Alex, let's get to your list here. 30 to 21. Uh, at 30, interior offensive lineman Wyatt Davis, wide receiver Elijah Moore at 29, Landon Dickerson uh, at 28, uh, Greg Newsom at 27, Trevon Morig uh, at 26, uh, Jalen Phillips at 25, Javante Williams 24, uh, Gregory Rousseau edge, uh, the last, uh, or yeah, the last of my first round grades uh, at 23, Zach Wilson at 22, quarterback and cornerback Caleb Farley at 21. I'm just sitting here looking at, so we are going to share these grades with everybody on Patreon. Um, and Alex, instead of like grades or whatever, has written like these descriptions. Uh, <laughs> and a little bit above where we were just talking about, he has hashtag extend Harbaugh, which is just like hilarious. <laughs> um, but Alex, what, what's the difference for you between Gregory Rousseau and Jalen Phillips? Um, I don't think it's a big difference. I mean, I think that's why they're ones at 25 and ones at 23. What I did take into consideration in evaluating Gregory Rousseau and, and why I have him a little bit higher uh, than some people will is <laughs> I did put the Jason Tatum. He's only 19. I mean, he did just turn 21 two weeks ago. And the last yeah. season of college football he played where he had 15 sacks and 19 and a half tackles for loss, uh, or, yeah, 19 and a half tackles for loss was when he was 19. <laughs> like, that is kind of a crazy thing to consider. And it makes it really hard because of, because of COVID this year and because he opted out to really evaluate what would his second, you know, year of tape have been. Right. Um, but for me, I, I just can't shake the feeling that, like, some team, like the Chiefs or the Ravens, is going to get him, and they're going to fix his hand placement, and then, ooh, he's a Pro Bowl tackle. <laughs> he's a Pro Bowl yeah. edge now, you know. Um, so, you know, and I totally get the argument that, you know, oh, his athleticism's a little average, and, you know, Miami had the zero technique. But for me, uh, I just think Gregory Rousseau has a lot of potential that, at the end of the first round, uh, I'm willing to bet on. And Jalen Phillips does have uh, some of those health concerns, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, Tyler. No, that was it. I was just saying, oh, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I think if we're kind of looking at this as like a player that, you know, we're going to look, get drafted in the 20s and be like, man, how did he fall so far? I think Gregory Rousseau is going to be that player. Yeah. Um, especially if he goes to the Ravens, man. Like that, <laughs> that just is like the perfect fit. It's the perfect everything for him and for the Ravens. And, you know, they have such a good tradition of, you know, taking these players and developing them. And so I think that would be a, just, you know, a crazy situation. Um, all right, Tyler, let's get to your list. 30 to 21. Alrighty. At 30, I have Devontae Williams. And then look, honestly, when I was trying to figure out where the hell to put these quarterbacks, I don't even like him as much as where I place them, but I do put some position value into consideration. Yeah. I really, I don't even like want, them here but they are here because <laughs> they're quarterbacks and it'll save my ass later on when they turn out really good and then <laughs> whatever so i have trey lance at 29 zach wilson at 28 then rashad bateman then creed humphrey quitty pay tevin jenkins richie grant caleb farley and landon dickerson at 21 uh what was the difference i guess for you putting uh zach wilson over trey lance i think lance has maybe okay when you say someone has the higher ceiling potentially i feel like that's also like well that means he was kind of inconsistent and potentially right. if you just fix those things he'll be better to me i think trey lance was just a little too inconsistent for my taste um i really don't like like i really don't like either of these guys honestly so just having them <laughs> over the other like i think wilson i have to give okay i have to give wilson credit 
for what he did this past season. I've really tried hard. Like I, I don't like to not give him credit here. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, yeah, like what he did this year against who he faced, I think was pretty good, and I think that he deserves to like. And and we did see him more recently, so I'm gonna put him over. It like the difference in grades isn't really all that significant, honestly. I just think Trey Lance is a little more like sometimes he'll like throw the most beautiful ball in the world, and then he'll just kind of miss, and then there's a miss, and it's like "Mm, what happened there. Um, where I think Zach Wilson is slightly more consistent, and therefore that's why I think at least a couple of the reasons that he takes the lead there. Yeah, Jordan Reed from the Draft Network really did this great breakdown of like the difference between ball placement and accuracy, and I think that's yeah. the kind of thing that you talk about with Trey Lance is that you know he shows really good flashes of being a very accurate quarterback, but his ball placement is not always there, and so. You know, you watch him just, you know, throw a Russell Wilson moon ball and you're just like, damn, this guy's arm talent is awesome. And then you yep. see him throw, you know, a 10-yard out route and it's, you know, five yards out of bounds. So I think Trey Lance definitely has mm-hmm. some accuracy issues. I think his running profile definitely will help him. Um, it's going to be so yep. interesting to see where he falls because, um, you know, Albert Breer has kind of talked about a lot of teams are, are not touching anybody who has who opted out. Like they, they're kind of worried about that wow. year off. And so – I'm wondering if that's kind of going to apply to the quarterbacks and how far uh, Trey Lance will fall. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I personally don't think he's going to fall very far. Um, I just because he's a quarterback, also like you know, and if you're in that top four, top five range discussion, you know your your need that teams will have for you will just be automatically boosted because of the value of the position. Um, so I, I do think yeah. some team is going to take him. Uh, probably in the top 10, uh, whether that's maybe top five, depending on what the Falcons do. Uh, I think we have a pretty good idea of who the first three picks are going to be, um, obviously based on my reporting with sex size. Um, so, <laughs> you know, uh, I think Trey Lance and Mac Jones are going to go probably still in the top 10, or maybe Mac Jones slips out a little bit in that top 15. But just because they're quarterbacks, they're going to get taken where they are. Yeah, I don't know yep. if you saw their comments, Alex, but I, I, I think we've got some uh, T-shirt requests for the sex eyes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, when, when we get a slightly bigger budget, maybe we'll maybe we'll give away, or we could sell T-shirts, or maybe we'll make one and give it away. That would be there we go. Fun. There we go. All right, let's get to twenty through eleven. At twenty, I have Trayvon Merrig, the safety from TCU. I have learned that it's pronounced Merrig, not Morig. So apologies. Um, at 19, I have Creed Humphrey, the interior offensive lineman from Oklahoma. At uh, 18, I have Jalen Waddle, the receiver from Alabama. That experience has been crazy for me. Uh, <laughs> Richie Grant, the safety from UCF. Aziz Ojolari, the edge rusher from Georgia at 15. Samuel Cosme at 14, the offensive tackle from Texas. Devontae Smith, the receiver from Alabama. Caleb Farley, even with the medical concerns, I have to stick to my grade, so I do have him here. Uh, at number 12, and then Najee Harris, my highest-graded running back from the last two years. Uh, just so, so good. Um, that is number 11, Najee Harris. So, so what, cha- what changed your mind on Jalen Waddell? Uh, what, what was that for you? So I think really when you talk about this past season, like obviously Devontae Smith had such a good season, but – if you watch the first couple games, Jalen Waddle was the number one receiver. Like, he was doing a lot more intermediate stuff than I had previously realized. Um, and he had a couple catches against Missouri that really raised his ball skills grade for me, which really bumped him up quite a bit. 
Um, obviously, I think, you know, in, in terms of a route runner specialist, I do think that Devontae Smith is a far superior route runner. But Waddle's speed, his ball skills, and, and his ability after the catch or, you know, after contact, I think really kind of bumped him up. And, um, you know, I just – I don't know what it was, like, at the start of the season, but I was like, man, I just really, like, don't want to – I don't want to like Jalen Waddle because I think, you know, the Tyree kill comparison really was so annoying. Um, but once I was yeah. able to kind of really focus in on him, uh, I bumped him up from like wide receiver six, I think initially to wide receiver three. Um, and I think he was like in the forties and now he's uh, all the way up at 18. So um, definitely been a wild experience watching Jalen Waddle for me. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I get I, it. I just think, you know, I know Tyler probably won't like him as much, uh, but I do think just, his raw athleticism and, and all that, like the fact he was wide receiver one this year uh, yeah. at Alabama, like the matchups he, he can create are just, you know, while I understand why, why some people have him lower, it's just hard for me to like really put him below wide receiver three. Yeah. And then you watch that national championship game and like, I don't know if he's healthy yet, but like the dude was limping and still just running past the Ohio state <laughs> defense. So like, the guy's just insanely fast, and yeah, yeah, I think it's a little unfair to put him any lower than than the top twenty. Uh, all right, so hey, I do I like guess, Waddle. Yeah, yeah, you have Waddle in your top fifteen too, don't you? Uh, yep, he is. Uh, yeah, top. He's well, the thirteenth. We'll get to yes. it, but yes, thirteenth. <laughs> so we both come around. It, Which is a bad end. number. Yeah. All right, so. Um, Alex, let's get to your list, 20 through 11. Uh, number 20, I have Edge Quiddy Pay from Michigan. Uh, number 19, I have Elijah Bear Tucker uh, out of USC. Um, 18, I have Rashad Bateman, wide receiver from Minnesota. J.C. Horn at 17, cornerback uh, out of uh, South Carolina. Jalen Waddle, wide receiver. Zizo Jalari, Edge at 15. Samuel Cosme at 14. Najee Harris at 13. Christian Darasaw at 12, and uh, Micah Parsons, 11, out of the, the worst school in the country. <laughs> <laughs> so we both have Samuel Cosme at 14, man. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised by that, uh, just in terms of evaluating him, because my I guess my initial thing was like, all right, I'm going to have him somewhere between 20 and 30, but he did uh, burst for me on tape, and uh, you, know, <laughs> you watch some of the games there at Texas, and I just thought he was really impressive. Um, not going to be, you know, uh, I, m- I mentioned Darisol, who's obviously my OT3, based on, you know, the two guys that are left at offensive tackle for me. But, you know, he's really impressive. And I just think you look at his physical skill set and his tools, and if a team gets their hands on that, it could be, you know, a real nightmare for the league. Top 15, y'all. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I know Alex's whole, like, ranking is just based on whatever he felt like that day. So I guess, like, I don't know if it was actually great. Like, I don't know if the grades are similar to, like, where he'd actually be ranked or what. But, all right. I mean, you got, yeah. You know what? You guys have done a wonderful job <laughs> evaluating these guys. And, uh, you know, I respect your opinions. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Tyler, let's get to your 20 through 11 here. All right, my top 20, uh, Greg Newsom. He was my CB2, but I have to be realistic with the injuries and the fact, like, I, you know, Alex told me a little bit more on Patrick Sertan, so he's my CB3 now. Uh, I have Najee Harris, then Trayvon Merrig, then Elijah Moore. I will stop and shout until he gets picked. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, and then Jalen Phillips, and then Christian Derisaw, Micah Parsons, Jalen Waddle, who everyone was like, oh, is this your new Gabe Neighbors? Because it's not <laughs> that I didn't like Waddle. I didn't like him. I didn't like him to the Chargers at 13. That's it. Yeah. It's not that I don't yeah. like Waddle. I just don't want him there at 13. I really don't care what receivers there at 13. Don't do it. I don't care what Matt Dollar Sign Smith says. Let's not do it. Um, but Waddle for me, like he even he like went like like with Steven, he went up my board because I just think that talent is undeniable. Well, do I don't do I think he's like the most complete receiver? Not really, and that's why I have two receivers ahead of him. But the talent is so undeniable that it was hard to not put him in my top twenty, and so he is. Um, and then Patrick Sertan as my CB two now, Alex, uh, at what is this twelve? Then Aziz Ojolari at eleven. So, I mean, obviously, I, I did not grade Micah Parsons. Uh, I have yeah. you know, a very unfortunate personal connection to his legal issues, so I, I am not doing that. Um, so I'll let you guys, both of you graded him as a top 15 player. Um, so Tyler and Alex, what do you guys think of Micah Parsons? I know a lot of people have talked about him as potentially converting to edge rusher or maybe the Chargers taking him at 13. Uh, so what do you guys see in Micah Parsons? I mean, I don't want the Chargers to take him at 13 because uh, they just – I mean, they invested a first-round pick from Kenneth Murray last year, and I, I don't right. think that they – it's interesting because the Staley scheme, I mean, will use the linebackers that they have with, uh, you know, Kaiser White, uh, Drew Tranquil, and Kenneth Murray, but uh, it's kind of an interesting situation uh, where you just have – Ty, you want to uh, go ahead? And... Yeah, no, uh, no, I was yeah. just going to say with Micah Parsons – uh, it's just an interesting situation where I don't think the team should take a linebacker, but if he is there at 13, uh, you know, I, I I just can't take him there. It's uh, yeah, And his ability as a pass rusher is really what stands out about him. I mean, him as in coverage, um, I don't know, that's a little bit dodgier for me, but his ability in coverage is why people want him as an edge, why people want him as a linebacker, uh, and I just think that's uh, that's what's going to move him up uh, draft boards. Uh, I understand why he didn't grade him, um, but for me, I do think he has a real chance to go inside the top 10. Uh, I know Detroit was mm-hmm. talked about as a team for him. Uh, so for me, <laughs> as much as I don't like Penn State and I don't like Michael Parsons' off the field <laughs> issues, um, I just kind of had to put him, you know, at 11 or so. Yeah, I thought I was going to like him a lot more than I did. Not that I hate him. He's at 14 for me, but and everyone's talking about this like incredible generational kind of guy. Okay, I'm not going to say he's like Kenneth Murray because I didn't grade or watch a lot of Kenneth Murray and I didn't grade him. But, you know, Parsons, athletic, and he's great at blitzing. And that just kind of reminds me of Kenneth Murray because they also both don't really diagnose as well as I would have liked. And maybe that's why Michael yeah. Parsons is more considered right. an edge potentially. Um, so, because you know, and Kenneth Murray kind of those misfires as well. So, you know, Kenneth Murray went 23rd or whatever. Not that I like Michael Parsons more, I think. Again, I watched, you know, I didn't watch Kenneth Murray, um, but I just think there's a couple of issues there. But again, sort of like Waddle, the talent is undeniable. The guy's a freak. He's huge. Um, just the, the physical gifts are out of this world. So I think he's worthy of like a top 15 selection. But I don't, I don't like him in like that top 10. Like some people are considering him. Yeah. So, so I did watch Micah Parsons. I watched him, you know, very early on in the process because he opted out. And so I was kind of going through all the opt outs and I did watch him. Um, yeah. I think from a linebacker standpoint, that's where I am playing him. I think the athleticism, the speed, yeah. I mean, he, he ran a four, three, six. So even with the pro day inflation, yeah. like he ran a four, four, like let's, you know, if you just ran it off there, like that's just absurd speed. 
Um, he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's two forty six. He's six three. So I'm not really playing him at edge. Uh, I, I think you know his kind of athleticism is going to be better used as a linebacker. I think you can kind of look at what Devin White has done for the Buccaneers and kind of look at that as the profile. Uh, and hopefully the Chargers are using Devin White as a profile for Kenneth Murray as well. Um, but I'm not playing him at edge. I think he's a, an off-the-ball linebacker. Um, but, again, I'm not grading him. So, uh, <laughs> All right, let's get to our top tens. This is going to be an exciting conversation for sure. Um, at number ten for me personally, I have Elijah Vera Tucker, someone that I have pounded the table for throughout this entire process. I very begrudgingly moved him to into your offensive line just because you know I do think the length concerns will have most teams pegging him as an interior offensive lineman. But I do think that he could play tackle in a pinch. I just think, you know, great athlete, very aware player of his surroundings. I think he's incredibly smart, takes great angles. Uh, I'm just a big fan of his as well. Um, Jamar Chase, the wide receiver from LSU, is my number nine player. There have been some talk from a certain network as he's the best receiver since Calvin Johnson. Uh, Hard to disagree there. I do think CeeDee Lamb would be ahead of him if they were in the same class, in my opinion. Um, but I do like Jamar Chase, great ball skills, great physicality. He's only six feet tall, but I think the kind of way, like the physical and aggressive nature in which he runs routes, I just love it. He's got a lot of A.J. Brown in him in that regard, although A.J. Brown is, is a little more jacked up. Um, Tevin Jenkins, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma State at number eight. Love him. Someone that has skyrocketed up my personal board just because of the way that he plays. I know uh, certain people have, have kind of pegged him as someone that the Chargers would not take because he plays right tackle. But I do believe that he could play left tackle for any team, and specifically the Chargers. I think he, the, the tenacity that he plays with, the way that he fires off the ball, is going to translate to either side. Uh, and then Jay-Z Horn, the cornerback from South Carolina. My cornerback one is at number seven. You know, I've talked about him quite a bit, so I'm not going to highlight him too much here. And then Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, the safety from Notre Dame. Uh, and if you have listened to our conversation or my conversation with Ben Fennell, you know that that's kind of a thing. That a lot of people in the league do view him as a safety. And I just think the kind of speed, size, athleticism that he brings to the table, one of the best cover players regardless of position in this class, I think someone's going to take Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa and move him around all over the field and get a great player. At number five, Rayshon Slater, the offensive tackle slash interior offensive lineman for Northwestern. I'm not too confident that the Chargers would actually take him if he were there, uh, just because I do think that their physical profile that they're looking for might not fit what Rayshon Slater is at 6'4 with 33-inch arms. But incredibly technically sound player, brings the most diverse package as a pass blocker, can win in all of the different techniques. Um, and you know, I think there is a very interesting conversation that he could play into your offensive line, maybe for the Giants. I think it is that is kind of where he starts to potentially fall off the board. Uh, maybe Carolina if Panace will go sooner. Um, but I think Rayshon Slater is going to be a fantastic player. And then I have the two quarterbacks, Justin Fields out of Ohio State at number four, Trevor Lawrence at number three. I think that's a very interesting conversation. I know people, including myself, have kind of pegged. Trevor Lawrence is far and away the better quarterback, but I do think that Justin Fields is is very close to that. And then Kyle Pitts, the offensive weapon slash tight end from Florida at number two, and Panay Sewell, the offensive tackle out of Oregon, who to me 
is the best offensive tackle class that we've seen in the last 10, 15 years, uh, is my number one player. As Alex would say, that's very on brand for you. <laughs> it is very <laughs> cool, number one. So let me see. That's one, two, three, four uh, offensive linemen in the top ten. That's right. Better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and positional value obviously, you know, influences right things there because yeah. you know Najee Harris and Elijah Vera Tucker had the same grade, but Najee Najee Harris is a running back, so he's the least valuable position. Yeah. He's at the least valuable position, so he's lower. Um, but yeah, four offensive linemen in my top ten. I love yeah. it. I love Jeremiah Boromoa. Uh, I mean, we all have him in the top uh, somewhere. Oh, in the top ten. We haven't said it yet. And of course, there's only thing left. So of course, we have him in the top ten. But yeah. there are just few guys in this draft who are actual thumpers in the run game who bring the heat, who just yeah. have that extra something. And he's like one of the only guys who has it in this draft. Um, so yeah, I love him here as your best defender. As mm, let's see, yeah, my highest graded defender as well. What he does at his job. He's fantastic. So I, whoever gets him, it's going to be a ball. Unless he goes to the Raiders, and then it's going to be terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's what, not going to be fun. What, um, you know, I know you've been on the Tevin Jenkins train for, like, the last month or so. What what boosted Tevin Jenkins' uh, stock for you? Well, I think, you know, the way that he dominates in the run game is, like, the first thing that everybody watches. But, you know, he's an incredibly physical blocker as a pass blocker as well. You know, you watch his understanding of leverage. Uh, and the way that he is, you know, on balance and under control at all times, I think, is, is what kind of has separated him for me. Um, you know, I, I look at the way that he finishes blocks. And, again, finishing blocks, if you've read kind of my profiles on all these guys, finishing blocks can mean a number of different things. Obviously, it means getting players to the ground. But it also means keeping your feet pumping and, and, pe- and pushing people down the field. And I think you watch – the most impressive block that I have seen on film this year is watching Tevin Jenkins – block Joseph Osai 15 yards out of bounds. Like the way that Tevin Jenkins mauls people in the run game, I think really is, is going to translate well, which is, you know, Chris Sims talking about Tevin Jenkins, any work as a run blocker is just the worst Ooh. assessment out of any. It's so, so bad. Um, but yeah, Tevin Jenkins, I'm a big fan of his. And then he went, he tested a lot better than I thought he would. And that's kind of, mm-hmm. that kind of what boosted him up because up until his pro day, he was at like 15, 16. Um, and then that kind of athletic profile just kind of boosted him up. Yeah, I, I mean, he's kind of insane. Uh, going into my top 10, uh, I have Trey Lance, quarterback from North Dakota State, at number 10. Uh, Jeremiah Wilson Kuramoa, at uh, linebacker, at number 9. Uh, 8, Devonta Smith, wide receiver uh, from Alabama. I mean, pretty self explanatory. I think he's the Second best wide receiver in this class. We'll get to my first later. Um, Patrick Sertan, CB1, number seven. Not number 27, Stephen. Uh, <laughs> he is number seven. Uh, here, I just think he has the least question marks at the cornerback position, and I think he's day one, you know, plug-and-play guy. Uh, and I think, you know, obviously he hasn't shown a lack of athleticism either, uh, which has been my biggest problems when people criticize him. Um, Justin Fields at number six, uh, you know, obviously very high. I uh, just he's the key, clear QB two in my opinion. I know the Jets are gonna take Zach Wilson, um, but to me they should seriously reconsider that and take Justin Fields. I think a lot of people are sleeping on him. Um, he does have some interesting, you know, uh, tendencies when pressure comes uh, and sort of can overreact sometimes. But to me, the skills that he has and the ability to coach that out of him to some degree. 
Um, I, I think that, you know, is, is why he's at number six. I think his flaws that he has are fixable. Um, and then, obviously, his natural skill is insane, too. Uh, Rayshon Slater, offensive tackle at number five. Penny Sewell, offensive tackle at number four. Um, they weren't separated by a lot for me, um, kind of when it came down to it, but I still do have Penny Sewell uh, ahead of Rashawn Slater. I have Kyle Pitts, the offensive weapon, tight end, wide receiver, fullback, whatever you want to call him, uh, at number <laughs> three. I think he's just kind of an insane physical player, uh, and, you know, he's a great route runner, too. And whatever team takes him uh, in that top ten, please don't be Dallas, um, <laughs> is going to have a guy that for the next 10, 15 years is going to be the dominant. Uh, I have Jamar Chase at number two, probably the biggest difference in the top ten uh, when it looks at uh, looking at me and Steven and Tyler's. And, of course, I do have Wonder Boy, uh, Trevor Lawrence, quarterback, at number <laughs> one. Uh, I'm going to get a lot of shit in the comments because of my Lawrence Herbert take video when we evaluated the quarterbacks, but I do think he's clear uh, above uh, all, you know, quarterback in this class. Uh, very few flaws to really point out in his game, and I think he's just going to be a great pick for Jacksonville, and I hate that because I hate Herbert Meyer. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's my top ten. I love your description right here of LSU. Odell handing out Bams University. <laughs> yeah, the national championship game. You know, first of all, fuck the NCAA. Odell should be allowed to hand out whatever he wants to Jamar Chase or any of the 2019 national champions. But, uh, yeah, no. Uh, and I also have Urban Meyer Swamp for Florida. But yeah. it's uh, yeah no, I had I had a little fun with those and you know for for our patrons if you want to access the Google sheet uh, of our top fifty you can have fun with all the names I chose. <laughs> Absolutely, Tyler. Any thoughts on Alex's top ten here? I love Chase over. I mean, I disagree, but I love Chase over Pitts. Like I don't think I've seen a whole lot of that, um, but I like it. Jamar Chase is a fantastic wide receiver. I just think Pitts is kind of. You can probably get Chase, maybe every a guy like Chase every few years. I don't think you can get a guy like Pitts every few years. Um, yeah. But no, I still like it. I mean, he's a great player. I only yeah, have him I, I can totally, two I, below. Yeah, I can totally see that. Um, for me, you know, the whole like, you know, some, you know, Ian Rappaport posted some tweet that was like, some agent told me that he was actually the best wide receiver since Julio in the draft, and I was like, okay. But I was oh, actually God. curious, and I went through like the last eight, nine years of wide receivers. And I was trying to find, like, who's the last guy that came out that was like Jamar Chase. Um, and the guy I landed on was in 2015, uh, Amari Cooper. Uh, he came out to the Raiders. Uh, and to me, Jamar Chase, to me, is kind of Amari Cooper 2.0 with how he physically runs routes, the speed that he has being somewhat comparable to Amari Cooper. Um, that's why I have him at two. And, you know, um, while I am happy that the Eagles traded out to 12, because I think it was the right thing to do. Uh, potentially missing out on Jamar Chase will keep me up every night, uh, probably for the next 15 years. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I just think, he, you know, for me, it's just such a slight difference with him and Pitts on my board. I know most people yeah. would put Pitts there, but to me to yeah. have, like, a true dominator-type wide receiver one, I just value that a little bit more over a total offensive mm -hmm. weapon. Um, but, you know... Uh, that's just my opinion on Jamar Chase. I know some people have him higher, some people have him lower, but that's, you know, and to me, as like I said with Amari Cooper, uh, I wouldn't go as far back as Julio, but I do think 
out of the last decade, he grades for me as, you know, one of the top three guys to come out. Wow. That's an interesting conversation for sure. I, I would love to go back and, and kind of compare because I loved CeeDee Lamb last year. I thought CeeDee Lamb, you know, what is I think he's going to be such an, an awesome player in the NFL. He landed in such a great situation uh, in Dallas. So that's going to be an interesting conversation to can look back on. All right, Tyler, let's get to your top ten here. Go for it. Alrighty, at number ten, I have J.C. Horn. I just think the mentality that he brings, like not just what he does on the field, but you know everything I've heard about him, you know, wanting that alpha cornerback mentality and the way he plays. I just have to put him ahead, even though I think maybe sort like if you had a hundred reps against the receiver, Sertan might be better. Year one, like I think over time you want a guy like Horn. Uh, next, I have Demontis Smith, then Jeremiah Abushu Koromoa, then Elijah Vera Tucker, a guy that I was lower on when I watched him on YouTube, then I switched over to All-22, and then Steven <laughs> did a great breakdown, and it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Um, I'm, I'm really happy to have him here, not because I'm a USC fan, but because I think he's really good, although I do have an interior offensive line, just because I think that is where he is, end up, he's going to end up being the best as a guard, um, yeah. which is not a slight to him. I just think he's so good as a guard that you know he's a guy to pound the table for. Uh, next is Rayshon Slater. I have him as a tackle. Whatever you want to do with him, fine. But I think as a tackle, he showed that he could handle the best. Um, and so he is my offensive tackle, too. Then Jamar Chase, the difference between Chase and Smith for me. I just like the way Jamar Chase – I mean, look, both of them are fantastic players. But Jamar Chase, I just like the physicality of how he plays, the mentality yeah. of how he plays. Maybe that's why I like, you know, Horn as well over Sertan. I just, there's something about that edge, you know, mentally that he has. Uh, the next is Justin Fields. He's in my – he's number four. Then Kyle Pitts at three, Penay Sewell at two, and then Trevor Lawrence at one. Um, you know, Lawrence, at the end of the day, gets the position value boost, and so he's my number one player. Yeah, I think he's the number one player. Uh, I think he's going to be the first player taken. Uh, did you see yeah. what happened at his wedding recently? No, I he didn't. Had, uh, he, had, he had Jacksonville Jaguars fans pay for things on his wedding registry. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> so uh, apparently he's also got the playbook already from Urban Meyer and company. So, uh, yeah, this is one of the rare years where there's not going to be any debate. It's been Trevor Lawrence from day one. Um, yeah. I just – I love Panay Sewell and Kyle Pitts, man. And I think, you know, those two mm-hmm. are far and away the better players, in my opinion, in the class. Um, but that's just me. Trevor Lawrence, though, at number three, like you can't go wrong there. Uh, and if he was a little higher, higher graded – the thing with the quarterbacks is that they have six categories and everybody else has five for us. So mm-hmm. um, that, I guess, maybe could hurt them a little bit more. Um, but Trevor Lawrence, I don't think that's sure. – I don't think you can go wrong with him at number one overall. Honestly, though, like yep. I was thinking about what you just said with like, you know, uh, it's one of the few years we don't have a conversation at number one, but I was just thinking about it. It's like, okay, we had Joe Burrow last year. Everybody knew that was happening. Then we had Kyler Murray, which everybody knew was happening. And then, you know, you can kind of go back, and it feels like every year it's a quarterback at number one now. So, you know, what's the point yeah. of talking about it? <laughs> you know, the <laughs> number one because usually there's kind of not anymore. That's true. And uh, I think Houston probably taking number one overall next year, probably is taking a quarterback. Wait, do they owe Miami their next year's first round pick, too? Probably. I don't think uh, I, I haven't. <laughs> I hilarious, haven't but I don't think so. Let me, I'll Google this. Okay. Because I can't imagine Houston wins many games at all. So, um, lots of overlap, obviously. I think most of us, you know, all three of us have Slater, Sewell, Pitts, Lawrence in our top ten fields as well. 
Um, I think Alex is is you know, you're the only one that has Patrick Sertan in the top ten, obviously, but that's kind of your guy. So um, that really is like the only difference I think. And then obviously Elijah Vera Tucker for me and uh, Tyler. <laughs> Um, I'm just now seeing that Tyler has written wrong, wrong, wrong next to Alex's <laughs> players. <laughs> I love that. All right, guys, any other thoughts on our top 50 before we wrap up today's show? Uh, I'm still trying to look to see. No, okay, so I think I think the Texans do have their first-round pick next year, <laughs> luckily for them. That's um, good, because they'll need it. Yeah, they're going to need a lot of picks. Um, and we'll see if they get any for Deshaun Watson at some point. Uh, but no, uh, I thought I thought this was a really fun uh, experiment to do and ranking all of them. I I had never done it before. Uh, obviously, I had guys that I liked in the draft before and guys that I wanted my you know my teams to take. But you know, um, I think this is the first year where I really broke it down personally. I didn't do any grades last year. Um, maybe I'll be so wrong this year that next year I'll actually use the numbers and, and break down, you know, which, which digit is in the thousands place. Um, but that may be a correction of my process at some point in the future, but it's really fun to do this. Uh, and you know, I'm excited next year's draft. Hope, thankfully in 11 days, we get a reprieve from all the pre-draft bullshit, but eventually I'll be ready to start it again and it'll be fun. Yeah, and I'm going to love this process. Since we do our draft next week, just have this out, crossing the names off like I did last year, except it was Steven and Jason's lists. Now it's partially my list as well, so it's going to be cool to you know, be excited through at least the first three rounds, knowing pretty much who everybody is. Um, I am impressed that we all have an Alabama player, a different Alabama player at 13. Uh, Steven has Smith, <laughs> I have Waddle, and, and uh, Alex has uh, Harris, which means that I guess they should take the Chargers should take a uh, one of them at thirteen because they're the best player available. Lucky because number that makes thirteen. Sense. You should always be best player available. That's, yeah, uh, I hate the whole best player available talk. Like best player yeah. available and from Alabama. <laughs> and from Alabama, so, apparently that's where we're going. Little YouTube blog. I, I did a video today about my uh, feud with Matt Money Smith and uh, <laughs> and best player available versus position of need. So go check that out. Yes, obviously go check that out. That's going to be a lot of great work. And then, you know, I would be remiss to uh, not mention the great content that we are guys that we are going to be having uh, to be able to put out to you guys with Brad Kelly, um, Scott Simpson, and Arjun Minaj, and as well as uh, the people over at Die Hard Bolt Club. None of that would be possible without all of your support, and we're so excited to see what all of them can bring to the table. I think it's going to be a, a great time for – for all of us to be able to have, you know, a, a great Chargers fantasy plug and, a, and another film breakdown guy. And I think analytics are, are, you know, they're becoming such a huge part in football. And I think having someone that we can rely upon to put out weekly analytical videos is going to be so huge. So can't wait to work with all of them. And we're super excited for what they're going to bring to the table. And again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Like I did say, we are going to publish these later on our Patreon page. So go check that out. We've updated all of our tiers, so if you are a Patron, uh, please go check and make sure if you want to update. We do really appreciate all of that support. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Patron is on the time. Patron, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. 
They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com